It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I can say this with confidence. You will absolutely not regret tuning into this episode because you're going to hear from someone who carved out a very unique path with crucial decisions he had to make each time he reached the proverbial fork in the road, right? But he chose most of the time correctly. He is a self-made billionaire with an absolutely fascinating story. My guest today was born in Morocco and moved to the United States with his family at the age of seven. He didn't speak a lick of English. His folks didn't have a lot of money. He shared a bedroom in their Connecticut house with his two sisters until he was 17 years old. I'm sure they were on occasion at each other's throats, but he slowly but surely learned English, attended college at Clark University, and upon graduating was offered a job as a UPS truck driver. That was one of his first forks in the road. Take a good paying job at UPS or go to law school even though he really didn't want to be a lawyer. Okay, he chose law school, but yeah, didn't want to be the lawyer. So he joined an investment firm instead and then came to his second big fork in the road, which led him right back to his sister, Sonia. The two joined forces to start Amrock Investments and shortly after, Avenue Capital Group. Today, that group manages more than $12 billion in assets by investing in the road less traveled in distressed companies' debt. And he's not only a major force in finance, he's also the co-owner of the NBA's winning Milwaukee Bucks. Here to discuss his journey to America and how he made or chose which roads to take through the concrete jungle is Mark Lazary. Mark, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. I'm so glad you're here to tell your story. Well, thank you very much. It's, you know, it's a real pleasure. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of your show. So I'm looking forward to the next half hour. Oh, good. Well, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because your story is so inspirational to me. And I know our listeners who love these kinds of journeys are, are just hanging on every word or they're ready to. You know, your your bucks are doing really well this season. Can I just start yeah. with that? You think they're going to take home the W? Um, yeah, I hope so. You know, if we stay healthy, I think we have a real shot. Um, I think in the East, you know, there's two or three teams and in the West, there's two or three. So we're definitely one of the top four or six teams in the NBA right now. That is amazing. I mean, to think that you bought them in 2014, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were the worst team in the league at the time we bought them. Uh, so we, we had a big road to <laughs> ahead of us, but... Um, we were pretty lucky in that when we bought the team, Giannis was on the team. So, uh, uh, yes, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Yep. So that was a good foundation. Then from there, we kept building it up. So it's uh, it's actually worked out really well. Okay. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to the Bucks later. But you know, something okay. that I like to do with my guests is sort of take them down memory lane. So let's go back to when you were seven years old. Your family made a very important decision to leave Morocco to come to the U.S. Why? Mm-hmm. What was it that inspired them to come to America? Um, I would say it was my mom. I mean, my mother had uh, nine brothers and sisters. And two of her sisters had married Air Force officers because there was an Air Force base in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And they had moved uh, to the United States. 
um, to Hartford, actually, Hartford, Connecticut. My mom had come to visit them, fell in love with the country. And, you know, we left Morocco. We went to Paris for a little while um, because we all spoke French. So my dad wanted us to be in Paris because he thought it'd be easier. And my mother, um, as usual, got her way. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's the way it's supposed to be. I know. And that's the way it was. So uh, we came to Hartford, Connecticut. But you came to Hartford, Connecticut without speaking the language. So you're seven years old. You know, that's quite a barrier to overcome. Can you talk about what, if you could tell me, what was going through your mind as you're put in an American and English speaking school? You know, it was hard. Um, it, it is. I mean, you, I went to public school um, and, you know, the first year was really hard because you didn't speak. Now, the good news is you're seven, so it's not uh, but, you know, the bad news is you don't speak a word. Um, I think in the beginning I was very shy just because um, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was able to pick it up pretty quickly so that within a year I could speak. And I think within a couple of years I was fluent. But, yeah, it was hard. I'm not going to tell you it was easy. It was hard. It was hard for my sisters and I. Um, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Um, you know, it's... Look, it's your typical immigrant story. I mean, you it's hard, but this is a phenomenal country and you can only do these things here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I've always wondered what what that's like. I mean, I I lived in France for a year and I did not. I mean, I, I had functional French. But I lived with a French family, and I just remember after a couple of months, I used to go into the bank every day and have a little note that said, may I please take money out of my Checking account, you know, est-ce que je peux prendre de l'argent de mon compte épargne and all of that. And one day I forgot the note and I just said it and I realized, okay, so there is that moment where it clicks. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I remember I used to come home and tell my mom, hey, this is really hard. Um, I I don't speak English. I'm trying to learn. And, you know, um, my mother was a was tough woman. (laughs) <laughs> she would just look at me and just say, uh, well, look, unless you want to teach everybody at the school French, which I don't think is going to happen, you better learn English. I was like, I know, but it's hard. And she goes, yeah, I know. It's hard. So it's, you know, you didn't have a choice, right? You didn't really have a choice and you you persevere. But I would tell you it was a hard year or two. Yeah, I would imagine. And then you make it through. You make it through high school right. and you went to Clark University. What happens yeah. upon graduation? You know, um, my mom had wanted me to go to law school. Her view was you either had to be a lawyer or a doctor. And, you know, she was like, look, we came to this country for the education and um, you've got to do one or the other. Uh, Medicine wasn't for me since I seem to have a hard time looking at blood. (laughs) So uh, so that left me with one other choice. Um, You know, I went to Clark on scholarship. And it was going to be the same thing. Law school was going to be scholarship. So I got into a bunch of schools and, um, you know, I thought I was going to go to law school. And then that summer I got this great job at UPS being a truck driver. And all of a sudden I had money and I thought life was going to be really good. And I thought if I stayed at UPS, I could, you know, I'd get into management. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, in the past, all CEOs of UPS had to start as drivers. 
That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you learn the business from really the ground up. Um, you know, my mother was pretty simple about all this stuff. Um, you know, she was like, look, it's your life. You can do whatever you want after you graduate from law school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your mom is t- she she really does get her way, didn't she? Oh, yeah, it wasn't. I remember I went to see my dad. And I said, Dad, you got to talk to mom. I mean, seriously, it's my life. I can do what I want. And he was like, yeah, I'm not talking to your mother. <laughs> I've, I've tried. He goes, you go deal with your mother. And, you know, that's how it was. I mean, it just, uh, my mom was very adamant about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of it is you realize the sacrifices your parents made to come here. Of course. And you sort of, I was like, all right, look, I'll go to law school. And then afterwards, I'll figure out what I want to do. And yeah, you go to law school and then you obviously end up being a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of... Well, sure. In, in my family, you know, my dad was one of nine. He and his two brothers and then the six sisters and all three brothers became surgeons. And I always joke that, you know, growing up as the daughter of a Jewish immigrant, you got to be one of three things, a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. So I always say, <laughs> well, I guess I'm a failure as a newscaster. <laughs> No, thank God you've done well. Uh, well, yeah, well, you, you, you got to reach your it's passion, hard. but but then you reach that fork in the road where it was be a lawyer, which you didn't really love doing, or try something different. How did you make that decision? You know, I, uh, it actually was pretty simple, and I'll tell you why. Um, I got married in law school. Mm. Um, I had met my wife first day of college, so. You know, we started going on, then we got engaged, and then we got married when I was in law school. And so I pra- I was practicing law, and we had a we had a baby, and I was making thirty thousand as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And an investment firm that I was dealing with um, came to me and said, "Look, why don't you come here?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I, I don't know." And they're like, "Well, what do you make?" I go, "I make thirty thousand. They said, "Well, we'll double your salary." Okay. Right. Hello. <laughs> that was it. So I was like, okay, let me go try this because at least I can make a little more money. Mm-hmm. We had we had a baby, um, and you know I, that was the first time I ever did investing because um, I was always really good at math. I thought I was going to you know be a physics teacher, and so you know it ended up working out. But that's the reason I left. It was really because somebody doubled my salary simple as that and yet you found that you had a yen for it you you made a lot yeah. of money for the firm at one point right in in what the first year yeah the first year um you know i made them 25 million dollars whoa which was, which was a huge amount of money this was in um 1986 yeah so what in some lot. type of deal or investing no, just over like investing mm-hmm. um I was recommending a number of things for them to do. They did it. And, and it was a lot of things that were in bankruptcy because I'd clerk for a bankruptcy judge. So having that skill set and then also being able to do numbers was very helpful. Um, you know, and then at the end of the year, um, you get your bonus. And I remember I asked my dad, what do you think I should ask? And <laughs> I didn't know how it worked on Wall Street. Um, I found that afterwards. You're just, you know, you're supposed to get like 10% of the profits. Um, I asked for half of 1%. I asked for a $125,000 bonus. Okay. And I thought, you know, that'd be great. And I got a $10,000 bonus. Oh, they undercut you. 
Yeah, they crushed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they crushed my soul. And um, and afterwards, um, a firm counting company gave me a great offer to come over there, um, where you know they were willing to pay me a hundred thousand plus. I'd get twenty percent of the profits. So um, I went to Cowan um, and ran their restructuring group on the investing side. Um, so you know, and that worked out really well. What brought you to the next fork in the road where you decided to launch your own business, but with your sister? So when I was at Cowan, my sister had also just graduated from law school, so she joined the firm. So she got the same pressure from your mom. Well, at least your mom doesn't discriminate. I know. My (laughs) other sister's a lawyer, too. Trust me. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So... um, you know, we went, we, we were do, doing really well at Cowan, um, and we joined the Bass Group in 88, and that went exceptionally well, and Sonia uh, had come with me. And then in 1990, I wanted to go off on my own. I had made a bunch of money and sort of thought, you know, now's the time to try to do it. The Bass family was exceptionally nice. They let me stay in the offices. Um, so I went off on my own, and um, did really well from 1990, 95, invested my capital. You know, I started out with about $5 million and we sort of doubled the money every year for about five years. Um, and that's how we started Avenue. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we're going to be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've got listeners, Mark, right now who are either in the process of starting a business or thinking about starting one or dreaming of one day starting one. Talk about the birth of your first business. This was Amrock, correct? Yep. So because I personally like to hear about the mundane and and almost somewhat depressing stuff, picking (laughs) a name, finding an office, designing the company logo, ordering the stationery, and then running into running into issues and problems in the beginning. Uh, we had a lot of issues in the beginning. It's, um, you know, look, I think part of it, it's it's never a good time to start a business. It's just, it's hard, mm-hmm. right? It's exceptionally hard. And everybody will tell you why you shouldn't do it. And I think for everybody out there who wants to do it, just follow your dream. Like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's right. going to be issues. And hopefully through force of personality, you will, um, you know, you will do it. And, you know, when we started our business, it was called Amrock. That was my mother-in-law's idea. Um, You know, she was like, 
why don't you call it Amrock? I was like, why? And she goes, well, you need to have a company that starts with an A. And so at least that way people will think of you first. And if you switch the A and the M, it's an anagram. It's uh, Maroc, which is Morocco. Oh, is bon alors, je comprends maintenant. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. So, um, you know, we called it Amrock. And the funny part is I remember, you know, the first week, Uh, people thought the name of the company was I Am a Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> and you know, he, I remember I would say with the receptionist, listen, you really have to say Am Rock, not Am a Rock. <laughs> you, know, you have all these things, and it's like the most ridiculous things you could think of. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. You're hiring people, you're... You know, you're trying to make sure you're doing the right thing. You've got to get space. And um, I'm, in the beginning, we didn't have any space. And so we stayed in the Bass offices and they couldn't have been nicer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and then you went to your lawyer's offices <laughs> you know, <laughs> until you got your lease. And the problem with getting a lease is nobody knows who you are. Right. right. And so, you know, I think our first year we ended up paying the lease up front. First year's rent. Because um, that was the only way we were going to get approved. So it, it's hard. I mean, it just is. It's exactly what you said. And then it builds on itself. But I think I was putting in, you know, 18-hour days, 16-hour days. It was a lot of work. And yeah. You've got no choice. Right? Well, you're, you're, you're riveting the wings on an airplane while it's in flight. You know, you're building <laughs> and you're flying and <laughs> you're trying not to crash. I get I it. That. That's what it is. It really is. You and your sister. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, working with family, amazing, but also has its own challenges. How was building your business with Sonia? You know, it was great, I would tell you, um, for a simple reason. We're really different, right? So um, I, I think siblings who want to be partners, it's easier if you're different. If you're the same, you tend to want to do the same things, which is really hard. Um, I think for Sonia and I, um, it's been a great partnership because I'm really good at sort of dealing with investors and on the investment side. And she's really good at sort of, you know, running the firm and doing everything within the firm. Sure. So it's been a phenomenal partnership. Wow. I, I, I'm amazed because as you build it up, phenomenal, try 12 billion in assets under management. But you, you didn't just say, okay, let's do, let's do investment, let's do finance. You did a very specific kind of finance. You invested in companies going through very hard times and in their distress, you were able to buy their debt at pennies on the dollar. Why take that as angle? Because as I understand it, obviously you, you, would, you understood bankruptcy and near bankruptcy but didn't that make you nervous taking that sort of flying leap on companies where you could have lost everything yeah you're right <laughs> but i thought we had an edge and our edge was that we understood the bankruptcy process mm -hmm. and you know sonia was a lawyer i was a lawyer um we thought we knew that process And we thought in the beginning that would give us a big edge because most people are scared of investing in companies that are in trouble. 
Um, I remember I used to ask, you know, my mother would always try to understand what I was doing. And I'd say, well, look, what I do is I buy, you know, the debt of a company at 60 or 70 cents. And she would go, why not 50? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please, I'd love to, mom. I go, because it's not at 50. She goes, I'd buy it at 50. I'm like, but it's, you know, it's that's just how things are, right? Yeah. But I think for Sonia and I, it turned out to be that we understood that there was less competition, um, which meant that you could, if you were right, you would end up doing a lot better. What was one of your biggest and first rights, meaning the biggest payoff where you realized, okay, now we're talking success. You know, there was a company, um, I think Smith International, and it was located in Newport Beach, California. So I used to go out literally every week. And I'd, you know, I'd fly out Sunday so that I'd be there Monday when you'd have a hearing. You got to remember back then there was no internet. So the only thing that happened, if you were there live, you could actually understand everything that was going on. You could talk to the lawyers. So you got a sense of where things were going mm-hmm. and you know, made a large investment in that company, which turned out, you know, on the on the debt, which turned out to be extremely it worked out really well for us. And I think, you know, you had a company like that, Storage Technology, Manville. Mm -hmm. It's back then, the ability, if you were willing to sort of fly out to where these companies were, um, the majority of people just stayed in New York. Because a lot of companies filed for bankruptcy in New York. I thought one of the ways we could do much better was to literally go out there and sort of talk to the lawyers. What most people did was sort of talk to lawyers on the phone or wait until things got filed with the court, um, you know, and then people would send it to them. Uh, but I think for us, you know, we were always about, I'd say, you know, a week earlier than other people. You can't do that today, but back then, that was a huge edge. But isn't that the way to really succeed? Figure out not necessarily how to play better at your competitor's game, but invent a whole new game and go in a side window versus that old front door that everybody's entering. I totally agree with you. I think I, I think you have to figure things out because if you're going to be like everybody else, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Yes. So to me, it was, what can we do and how can we do it? And look, and really what it is, and I know this sounds hokey, but it's just a massive amount of hard work. Like you've got to be willing. I used to, you know, we have five kids and I would fly out, you know, Kathy and I had a rule where I could not be gone for more than one night. Um, And sort of like I would fly out on Monday morning, take the early flight, get there, go to court, do everything I had to do, um, and then do the same thing the next day, and then sort of catch a four o'clock flight to come back make sure you land in New York at, you know, midnight. Right. And it's, it's, it's hard. I'm not going to tell you, and you know it. I mean, I think to succeed, you know, the advice I would give people, and you know, this is you've got to put in the time, you've got to work really hard. And the harder you work, the luckier you get. 
Um, but it's, you know, because if you're not doing it, somebody else is going to do it and they'll succeed. I tell interns, you know, when we, we speak f- to our college associates and they ask me sometimes, can you speak today in front of this group here at, at Fox? And I will say to them, I am standing up here to tell you it's really hard. You're going to get a lot of no's and your your tapes will be rejected, even from tiny markets. Like I got rejected from, you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin and Fort Smith, Arkansas and all these places. But but I'm telling you now because nobody told me. So now, you know, and when it happens, you won't be freaked out. So right. this is really valuable to hear from you, but it's true. And people look at successful people, and that's why I do this podcast. They think, oh, look at Mark Lazar. He's a billionaire. He owns the box. He's, you know, we'll get to the pickleball team in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, you own a pickleball team. I know about that. But yeah. they think, oh, he's so lucky. No, 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 no luck. It's not luck. It's schlepping. It's exhausting. It's inspiring. It takes that synapsing in your brain how do i do this differently and better and clearly you've you've really put in that work uh so much so that you got successful enough to buy as i said the nba team but you know you bought the the worst performing one at the time and then of course the bucks won it all recently yeah i i think when we bought the team i had played in college and other than a lack of talent i think i would have played in the nba <laughs> Stop. Oh, my God. It's just wrong, right? You're tall, though. How, how tall are you? I'm six feet. It's not that tall. Oh, not that tall. I don't know. But you you, uh, you, you seem you've, you've got a big character, but that's not good enough on the on the paint. But it's just um, I loved basketball. You know, I as I started making money, I got to invest in um, I invested in the at the time it was the New Jersey Nets who became the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. And started investing in teams. And then when the Bucks became available, um, you know, it's funny because everybody today will tell you, oh, that was that was a brilliant move. At the time, it was just one of the scariest decisions I ever made because we paid $550 million for the team. It was the worst team in the league and one of the smallest markets in the league. And we paid the most that anybody had ever paid for an NBA team. So you were like, well, I hope we're doing the right thing. And I I think part of it, you know, the first focus we did was, um, all right, how do we get better? And, you know, the only way you're going to get better is by winning. And so therefore, let's make sure we get a great coach, we get a great front office, and we focus on sort of excellence. And I know it's easy to say, but it's... you've got to do it and you've got to sort of plan for the long term. You know, the problem with anything is everybody wants results right away. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, we sort of looked at it and said, you know, Jason Kidd, the fact that he came out to Milwaukee gave us a lot of credibility. And then from there, keep on building. Um, And, you know, it it took a while, but I think we were able to sort of put the pieces together. Our view was that talent, you know, there's two views in the NBA. There's talent and there's a team. Our view was a team would win out. So you've got a lot of NBA teams that have a tremendous amount of talent, Mm -hmm. but somehow they don't play well together, right? 
you need talent, but you also need a team. It's got to be cohesive. Everybody's got to want everybody to succeed. And I think because of that, um, we've ended up, you know, I think within sort of three or four years, we're always in the playoffs. We're one of the top teams. And a big part of that, obviously, is Giannis. Um, but I think a big part's our coach, our GM, who's been able to put the pieces together. Well, can I interrupt you here? Uh, first of all, this is very similar to building a company. It's got to be a it team. Is. It's got to yeah. be a family. But I will say this, and I'm not going to name names, but owners who love their players and who, like, I'm thinking, I will name names. I'm thinking of positive experiences where you're talking about, like, Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavs. Yeah. He's there. He's fine. He's so into it. He's so excited about yeah. it all. And Art Blank of the Atlanta Falcons, he loves his football team. He dances with his players. And then there are some who just glare. They sit yeah. in their chair. They sit in their seat and they glare. That's the one I'm not going to mention. And they never quite make it. You guys love your players. And you tuned out the naysayers because it took a good six or seven years. I mean, 2021, you finally won the championship. Yeah. No, it's exactly what you said. I think if people feel that ownership is behind them and that ownership will do whatever they can to help you win, you will end up getting very good results. Mark is a good example of that. You know, and if you look at sort of the teams that have won, I think Joe Lacombe has done a phenomenal oh, job yeah. you know, with the Warriors. Yeah, and Peter part Gober. of that is, that, yeah, and Peter Gober, I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, Amazing. They, they built a family. And I think that's what you want. And um, it's hard. You know, it just is. Like if, if the play, it's like work. If you think of your job, if you think your boss is there to help you succeed, you're going to work hard. If you think your boss is not doesn't care about you, it you know it's not a great work environment. Yeah, why it it doesn't inspire you to reach higher? No, not at all. But that's a gift to be able to inspire people. That is a true gift, and not a lot of people have it. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. We were down two zero uh, to the Phoenix Suns, right? And we're coming back to Milwaukee. Okay, and. I'm in the locker room and I say to Chris Middleton, I'm like, Chris, just going to give you a piece of advice so that we can win the next couple of games. And he starts laughing and he goes, sure, what is it? I go, why don't we try putting the ball in the basket? <laughs> <laughs> and if we do that, I think we'll win. So he starts laughing. He goes, so you want me to make the shots? I go, yeah, now you got it. There you go. <laughs> and he goes, oh. Thank you so much. That we didn't know that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. You know, obviously. Right. Not berating them, right? And it's a lot of it is just, you know, you're trying to reduce the pressure, right, on people. Because it is. It's a it's a pressure situation. And really what you're trying to do is sort of tell people you believe in them. It's that you know they'll succeed. But at the same time, you know, make light a little bit mm -hmm. so that people know you're behind them. You know, so it's it actually I sort of find that if you have a good relationship with your players, um, things will work out. 
in the end, though, you are a businessman and you love profits. You bought it at $550 million. I, I always check Forbes on what each team is valued at because I'm a huge hockey fan and I'm always looking at what the L.A. Kings are worth. And I think most recently it was valued last year, the Milwaukee Bucks, at $2.3 billion. I mean, I, I, it's almost like it's not a vanity thing for you. It's maybe part vanity, part love, but also part business. You could make yeah, a lot of money if you sold your your position. Yeah, no, you could. I think it's you know where values are going. It, it you start focusing on that. I mean, the Suns just sold for four billion. So, mm. um, I think the value of all these franchises will move up. So I think it's um, I, I think there is the part it's it's fun, but at the same time, it's a business. And I think for all these businesses, you know, you want to make money and, you know, you want to try to create or build on your assets so that it's worth more. And do you love it so much that you'll hold on forever? Well, that I don't know. I think it's I do love it. I think it's great. But mm-hmm. there's always a price. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we're going to be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, let's talk about the pickleball team. Can we just get to that? Uh, Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. People are going nuts over it. And you bought a team. Tell me about that. So um, um, one of my neighbors here in in Westport is uh, James Blake, the tennis player. Mm -hmm. And James um, loved pickleball. And... You know, I started playing it. I thought it was great. And one day James comes to me and goes, hey, I think we could buy a franchise. I was like, great. I'd love to. <laughs> and we were one of the first people to do it. Um, I think we paid 100000 in the beginning. And we've put in more money, obviously, since then. And today, I think they're going for like 5 to $10 million. And, you know, I think as they get the TV contracts, and it's a little bit of what you said, I think these franchises will be worth somewhere between, you know, 50 to 100 million wow. in five years. And so, yeah, what's your team's name? We are the Milwaukee Mashers. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Well, are you spending a lot of time in Milwaukee at this point? I mean, New York, Milwaukee, quickly, yeah, back and I, forth? I do. I spend quite a bit of time there. My son uh, lives out there. Mm-hmm. Um so he's one of the GMs for the Milwaukee Mashers and is helping out 
and obviously works for the Bucks as well. So um, I think our family is just getting more into sort of the sports business. As we finish up, Mark, and this is I've so enjoyed this because I, I've been counting and I think you said it's really hard about 38 times. Um, and that is a that is a very important message to literally hammer home into people's heads. What's the number one character trait you feel served you best in your climb to success and is still serving you today? I would tell you it's perseverance. I think um, it's a little bit of what you said earlier that don't worry about people saying no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if people said no, if people never said no, it'd be easy, right? I mean, that's, um, and what I found is that um, it's a tremendous amount of hard work. It's, you've got to be very focused and understand that to be successful, there's a lot of rejection. Um, and you've got to learn from that rejection and try to understand. So what I would tell people is, um, I never got upset when people told me no, or when people, you know, you'd go out and ask people to invest or you would, I would always ask, okay, why? I I have no qualms with you saying no, just tell me why and try to understand what it was that we were doing wrong so that the next time I tried to do something, I fixed that. And I think. I think part of, you know, to succeed, you've got to be willing to understand that um, things are going to be hard, but you're going to have to change some things. And you've got to sort of be able to understand what the market or the marketplace is saying to you. You know, the problem in what I do is every time I buy something, it's because somebody's selling it, right? The person selling it thinks it's going down. He's not selling something that he thinks is going up, right? And I'm buying something because I think it's going to go up. But when it goes down, you've got to be confident in your analysis mm-hmm. that you should go back in and keep buying more, even though everybody's telling you it's wrong, right? So part of it is you got to be a little stubborn, not very stubborn, a little stubborn. <laughs> uh, you've got to be willing to listen to others. Um, but you have to have confidence in yourself, right? And and understand that it's a journey, it's a process, and that it is going to take time, um, and that's fine. I'd love to end it there because I think it's it's such a great message, but it's backed up by your experience. And you taking the road less traveled. Mark, thank you so much. I, I'm just amazed that you have no French accent at all. <laughs> I, I think that's because I came here young, right? I think if you were, and also I have a pretty good ear mm-hmm. for languages, but I think if I'd come at 11 or 12, it would have been different. I yeah, think but still, I, I mean, I I know young kids who came and that you can still hear it. You, yeah. You're talking like, honestly, like a surfer from California, because I'm <laughs> from LA. And you're like, and then he goes, and then I go, but I love it. I love it. Mark, thank you very much for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mark Lazary. And you guys, what can I tell you? You will never regret tuning into these because you, I hope you've learned so much from Mark. And what a, what a brilliant businessman, but also a good person. You can just tell. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Biz, The Claim and Countdown. 
Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.